verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Our Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, who has power to keep us and power to make us stand before your presence. And I pray, O Lord, that you will press this truth on our hearts. That by your Holy Spirit, you will work in this moment. In this moment in time. That will bear fruit. Both now and on into the ages. Until we see Christ again. We pray this in Christ's name and together all God's people said. Amen. Amen. I suppose it was 31 or 32 years ago that I preached my very first sermon in this, in this church. I was just a young student at Bible college. And uh, at that time in my personal devotional life, I had read uh, the book of Jude. And I didn't think anybody had ever read that book before. I was stunned with its truth and with its amazing relevance to my life. It seemed like it was reading my life. It seemed like it was reading the times in which we found ourselves and it addressed it like no other. So I was thrilled that when I had the opportunity to preach here for the very first time as probably a 19 or 20 year old uh, young man, I was thrilled to bring this uh, uh, book to the attention of this this church. I stood in a different place. I stood back there where the the, the, the doors are now. That's where the pulpit used to be, and 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 there was yellow pews and red carpet and blue curtains. It was beautiful. <laughs> and I didn't know how to preach. I didn't know what you did. I didn't know how you made a sermon. So I decided what I would do is. Start with the very first word of the first verse, uh, Jude, and I just walked through each word of each verse, and we got to about verse 16 that, that day, and then I was supposed to preach that night, and so I just said, we'll continue on to verse 17, and we finished through verse 25, and I was thrilled, I was excited, I couldn't wait, I felt like these people are going to be amazed because nobody's ever told them this before. And I'm not sure how amazed anybody was, but I'll tell you what, I come to you today with as much enthusiasm as I had 30 plus years ago to bring to you the message of the book of Jude. When, when you read this letter, it's only one chapter, verses, the 25 verses, when you read the letter, you'll find that it's, it's a weighty letter. It is a heavy Letter. There's some serious things that are going on here. And, and basically the occasion for writing is seen in verse 3. Jude says, I was eager to write to you about our common salvation. That was my desire. My desire to, was to write to you about our common salvation. But he says, I was compelled. And we, of course, know that he was compelled by the Holy Spirit 
to change up, to, to write, instead of writing about the common salvation, he was, he was compelled to write to them to contend earnestly for the faith that was once delivered for the saints. Now, this letter is a letter by Jude, who happens to be the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this letter, he is urging, he is exhorting, he is calling, he is challenging his readers to do one thing. And that is to contend earnestly for the faith. I don't know what you think about when you think of that word contend, but it's a word that speaks of being a fighter. To fight. It, it means to struggle. It means to wrestle. In fact, when you use the Greek word, you can already hear the intonations of agony. The agony of struggle that is involved in this, in this particular action. What Jude is doing is he is identifying a very particular aspect of the spiritual battle in which we find ourselves engaged. And that is that we are called to fight, to struggle for the faith that is once for all delivered to the saints. The faith, the, the body of truth that has been given to us. He says fight for that. Why? Why fight? Why contend? Well, look at verse 4. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. That's what occasions it. That's why you have to fight. Why? Because there are certain people who have, though, though unnoticed, made their way into the church who are denying the lordship of Jesus Christ. How serious is this? Well, it's so serious that, that James remind, or Jude reminds them that, verse 5, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, right? Israel brought out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. It's so serious that if you don't believe the faith, Jesus will destroy you. And what's to motivate them? He says in verse 8 that you got these people who've come into the church, and what are they saying? They're relying on their dreams, verse 8. They're not relying on the authority of the word of God, but they're relying on their dreams, and they ultimately blaspheme God. Down in verse 12, he says, they are hidden reefs in your love feasts. A hidden reef, that, that is a danger zone. It's un, you can't see it below, but when you're driving that boat, if there's a reef below, it's going to wreak havoc on the boat. He says there are hidden reefs in your love feast. In other words, they've come into the church and they're fellowshipping in the church. They feast with you without fear. They're, like, they're boastful about their own immorality and their, their, their denial of the lordship of Jesus Christ. They've fallen away from the truth of, of Christ. And what Jude does, as I said, is he brings this heavy, weighty matter to the, to the Christians to whom he's, he's writing. And as he brings the letter to a close with what we just read in verses 24 and 25, he, he brings this weighty, serious issue to, to a conclusion. You see, what he's telling us is, friends... In these days, in this mission of contending earnestly for the faith, there's no resting. There's no room for compromise. 
There's no sitting a play, taking a play out. There's no time to get a, to get a breather. If we lose the truth, that's all we've got. If we lose the truth, we've got nothing. And he says, this is your responsibility. It's your responsibility. He lays this on the, the shoulders of the church. The truth is your responsibility. Contend for it. Guard it. Protect it. And I feel the weight of that. I hope you do. What, what's going to motivate me in these days toward that end? I mean, I feel that weight. I'm prone to failure. How about you? I'm weak. How about you? I am fraught with weakness. I have my own wanderings to worry about. And, and if what Jude says is true, and it is, with so many apostates, that the, those who have fallen away, with so many apostates around us, we might wonder what's going to keep us from going on in the same way. What's going to keep us from following suit? And that's where what he does at the end of this letter just comes in and fits like a glove. You see what he does in this letter is he ends it by putting our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Someone said this, it is a dangerous thing to live for Christ in an atmosphere of false teaching and seductive morals. It is a hazardous thing to try to rescue men for the gospel out of such an environment. If you get too near to the fire, it will burn you. If you get too near to the garment stained by flesh, it will defile you. Is withdrawal the answer then? No. Advance against the forces of evil. Face the dangers involved so long as you are strong in the Lord's might. You remember what the the hymnist said when he wrote that, that the hymn Amazing Grace? Through many, what? Dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. It the Christian life is a dangerous life. Kids, it's like facing a group of lions. Tigers and bears, isn't it? Oh my, that's right. We had a little deal that we were going to work that out this Wednesday. Lions and tigers and bears. I'd hate to face those, wouldn't you? It, the Christian life is a life of danger and toil and stairs. Question, what's assuring us that we're going to make it? How do we know we're going to make it? What's going to keep us from getting tired? What's going to keep us from giving in? What's to assure that in 30 years, I'll still be excited about the message of Jude? What's keeping us from giving in and compromising and from error and being swept up in the fray or the fear? Oh my goodness, we're here ministering in such days fraught with danger. Well, I'll tell you what keeps us. What keeps us is the guarantee that through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come, His grace has brought me safe thus far. And what? Grace will lead me home. Praise the Lord. That's exactly how Jude ends his letter. That's exactly how Jude ends his letter. As you and I contend for the faith, as we struggle and agonize and argue and show mercy and preach the gospel and live holy lives, there are two great truths that we must keep on our minds before our eyes at all times. You know what they are? 
the power, the great power of Jesus and the great praise of Jesus. That's what you need. That's what's going to keep us from getting tired and from giving in and from compromising and from error and from being swept up into the fray, from being fearful. What Jude does at the end of this letter is he gives maybe the most beautiful doxology in all of the Bible. I mean, there's some beautiful doxologies. Praises to God. I think about Romans 16. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel of the preaching of Jesus Christ. That's a beautiful doxology. But there is no doxology like this one in all of the scriptures where he draws our eyes, draws our attention on these two great truths. The great power of Jesus Christ and the great praise of Jesus Christ. Look at the great power of Jesus Christ in verse 24. It's so good, I want to read it again. Verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Now to him. We're talking about a person, aren't we? We're not talking about a force. This is not may the force be with you. This is a person. We're talking about the person of Jesus Christ. Now to him who is able who has the ability, who has the power. He has the ability and power to do what? Number one, to keep you from stumbling. I like what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, no man can keep himself. He will surely fail. If left to ourselves, we will go to hell. Only Jesus can save us from our sins. And Jesus, listen is not only able to save us in the sense that we come, I've come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and I believe that my sins are forgiven, but Jesus is able to save us all the way through. Listen to a couple of verses. Listen to John chapter 6. Listen to this, just listen. All, Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks in the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Or Jesus' words in John chapter 10, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Or Jesus' prayer to the Father in John 17, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Or Paul saying in 2 Timothy chapter 4, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom or what i love i love this particularly hebrews chapter 7 consequently he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to god through him my friends one of the most precious truths in all of the bible is the truth of the keeping the guarding the preserving power of our Lord. You see, he not only saves, 
but he keeps. That's to say that our Lord preserves, he guards the genuine believer. What Jude is telling us here is that he, Jesus Christ, has the great power to keep you even though there are so many dangers and toils and snares. He has the ability to keep you even though people are dropping like flies around you. Think about how many friends you've had who've dropped off. They've turned away from the Christian faith. They've turned away from the faith. And that's what makes this doxology so great. You might be discouraged when you read the book of Jude. You might be discouraged when you read about hidden reefs. Are there hidden reefs here in our church? People who have crept in unaware, unnoticed. But here's the great truth. When you keep your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ, we must keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ because he's the one who has the ability to guard you even in the days of trials and suffering. Even though you are fraught with weakness, like me. If it were left to me, I would certainly go to hell. But praise God, it's not left to me. He has the ability to guard you in the midst of trials and suffering and temptation and difficulty. And you know how he does that? You say, how does Jesus keep us from sway, keep us from falling off the deep end? I'll show you. Take your Bible and turn back just a few books to 1 Peter uh, um, chapter 1. First Peter. Look at this. Verse 3. Talk about the keeping power of our God. Blessed. This is First Peter chapter 1 verse 3. You should underline this. You should highlight this. You should make this bold. You should memorize this. This has got to be your life. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So the inheritance is kept. The inheritance is kept. You're not going to lose that inheritance. But what, what, if, what if he loses me? Verse 5. Who by God's power are being guarded. You are being guarded. And how does he guard you? What's the next words? Th- say it. Through faith. He does this through faith. He guards you. This is so important, friends. He keeps you, he protects you, he preserves you through faith, through you taking him at his word. That's how he does it. You can't be saved except through faith, right? It's impossible to be saved except through faith. You've got to believe him. But you also cannot be kept saved except through faith. Which is why Jude says in verse 20, Build yourselves up in the most holy faith. Build yourselves up because that's how he guards you. That's how he protects you in the midst of of, of a time that is fraught with dangers and toils and snares and people dropping like flies away from the faith. He keeps you through you building yourself up in the faith. We say, well, how do I do that? Go ahead and say that. How do I do that? 
All right, well, I'm glad you asked. Look at chapter, look at first, second Peter chapter one. Here's how you do that. Here's how you build your faith up. You adorn it. What do you mean adorn? You know how when you, you get your Christmas tree all ready, you put the tree up, and then you don't just sit the tree there. You've got to put stuff on it. And you, you put the, the ornaments on it. You, you adorn it. You make the tree beautiful. That's what he says to do to our faith. Verse 5 of 2 Peter 1. For this very reason, and it takes effort, make every effort. Like, give maximum effort to supplement your faith, to add to your faith, to adorn your faith, to build your faith up. With what? Don't just keep faith, but make it virtuous. Right? Virtue has the idea of that which is honor. Pursue honorable things in your life. And, and not, not just virtue, but then, but then knowledge. That's like discernment. Work your mind so that you can be able to understand what's true and what's not true. This is building yourself up. That's how he's going to guard you and keep you. And, and from knowledge, you go to self-control. Learn to control yourself a little bit. Practice some discipline in your life, right? Don't give yourself everything yourself wants. And, and, and steadfastness, learn to persevere, learn to stick at it. And when you fail, get back up and go again. And, and to, to, to perseverance, you add godliness. That's like living in the conscious presence of God moment by moment. Like moment by moment, I am recognizing that God always sees and that he knows and that, he re, that he's real and that he hears and that he's worthy Godliness, and and to godliness, add a little bit of brotherly affection. Learn to have tender, compassionate thoughts about one another and provide for one another and protect one another. And to top that all off, just adorn your faith with love. Acts of selfless sacrifice for the glory of God. That's how your faith is built up, brothers and sisters. You give maximum effort. You don't have time to compromise. Come on. There's no time. To sit back and take time off. I remember hearing John MacArthur tell the story about he was, a, I think, a senior in his track season. And, and he was running the 4x4, four four, you know. And, and they were in the championship race. And, and it's that, that race where each one runs a little bit and hands all the baton off to the next one. And he said, you know, first guy started, he got us the lead. He said, I went and I got us the lead. I kept the lead. He said, the third guy I knew was strong. He could keep the lead. And the fourth guy would just, would just knock it out of the park. He said, but when it came to that third guy, he got the baton, perfect run, perfect handoff, and he started running. He said he went around the track, and all of a sudden, as he's rounding the corner, he said he just stopped. They were going to win the championship. He just stopped and went in and sat on the infield, and he said his team was horrified, figuring he must have torn a muscle or something like that, and ran up to him and said, what is it? What's wrong? And you know what he said? He said, I just got tired. I didn't feel like running anymore. You know, I don't know if MacArthur drop kicked him or what, but he was, whatever happened. Can you, listen, we don't have time to take it easy. And so many of us are taking it easy. And you're, you're going to fall prey in these dangerous toils and snares. You are going to fall prey. So build up your faith. That's how he guards you. You're taking it easy. power of Jesus Christ 
is to save everyone who trusts in him and to save them to the uttermost. And that's what we need this morning. We don't need to think about our, the dangerous times in which, we have, yeah, we'll think about the dangerous times, but let's not make that our focus. Christ is able to keep me. Christ is able to keep me. What's my hope? I'll tell you what my hope is. It's that my Savior is able to preserve me all the way through life into eternity and to keep me from stumbling. To keep me from stumbling. The great power of Jesus, not only to keep you from stumbling, but you notice how he develops it and it continues here. Not only to keep you from stumbling, but to present you blameless before his presence. He is able to keep you now and he's able to present you then. He is able, listen, brothers and sisters, to take you all the way into his glorious presence without one single condemning accusation held against you. Wow. Uh, You see what he says there? Back in in Jude uh, 24, he's able to present you. You know what that word present means? It's a word that means to make you stand. He's able to make you stand blameless, without spot or without wrinkle. He is able to make you stand without any sinful blemish. He will make you stand in the undiminished presence of his astounding and brilliant, all-consuming glory. And you will know that you belong there because you will know that you have been made sinless. (laughs) There will be found nothing in any believer that is even in the remotest sense worthy of condemnation. But rather, he is able to make you stand fully blameless. Is that not astonishing? It is, isn't it? You know how much sin you are guilty of. How much sin is there in this place today? I mean, there's a whole lot on this platform. All these people on this platform now, think about how much sin is here. It's just one. And it fills the building. Imagine. There's a website you could go to and just says allmysins.com. Page after page after page after page after page after page. And the Lord Jesus Christ bore the penalty of all of that. And there is a way in which we are positionally blameless before God right now in Christ. If you are believing in Christ, you are positionally blameless. But the reason that we will be transformed that our bodies, that the corruptible will put on incorruption and this mortal will put on immortality is so that we will be completely and utterly blameless in his presence. Right now, none of us are worthy to enter heaven the way we are. There has to be a further change. And when we get there, we're not getting in by the skin of our teeth. We're not just going to be survivors. We're not going to be just barely getting in because we will be made holy and completely blameless in his presence presence and what i love about this verse is that he says now to to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory you know what his glory is it's his bright refulgent brilliance it's like the fire of the sun 
only magnified by 10 million times. And he says, you'll be able to stand there and you won't be burnt up. And how will he do it? With joy. Whose joy? In fact, he doesn't just say with joy. He says with great joy. And every time that phrase is used, it means unhindered, unrivaled, unbridled, unreserved, uninterrupted joy. Whose joy? Well, it could be the Christ's joy because he went to the cross for the joy that was set before him. It could be that joy because there is joy on the Father's face in heaven when one sinner repents. God is such a happy God. He is a joyful God. He is a God who loves to save and takes great joy in, his, in, in, in exuding His mercy and grace. It could be His joy, and maybe is, but, but I think it's our joy. He is able to make you stand in the presence of the bright, refulgent, sun-like glory of God, and you'll stand there, not with this fear not like that, but with joy radiating on your face and in your entire being with that kind of great joy. Yes, Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God will rejoice over you with joy. He will joy over you with singing. Yes, enter into the joy of the Lord. But it's also true, just like Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. That's what you need to get your eyes on today, church. The great power of Jesus Christ to save you. And once he saves you, to keep you all through life, even though other people are dropping like flies, to keep you all through life, even though there are many dangers, toils, and snares, to keep you, to guard you, to keep you from messing it up. And then not only is he able to keep you, but he is able to present you, to make you stand before his presence, not with fear, not with a reserved, uh, is it okay if I come in? but with great joy, like, here I am. Here I am. I belong. I'm one who has been saved by the Son, forgive, washed in the blood. Praise the Lord. Glory, hallelujah. Here I am. That joy. Hmm. Think about how willing he is to do this. Not just that he's able, but willing. He, God is not like, well, okay, I guess. <sighs> But this is his great willingness to do this. This is really our, our joy. Look at the great power of Jesus Christ. My question is, in that day, I want you to imagine you standing in the presence of the, the brightest burning glory. How will you stand there? Or will you shrink back in fear? The only way that I stand, the only way that any of us stands then, is through Jesus Christ. Which brings us to the next part, that not only the great power of Jesus Christ, but the great praise 
of Jesus Christ. He says in verse 25, to the only God. Jude cannot think of anything else but the praise that belongs to God. And this praise that belongs to God is through Jesus Christ. He is, uh, Jude is so convinced that God will keep him. And, and Jude is so convinced that God will present him in the presence of his glory. Why is he so convinced of this? Well, I'll tell you why he's not so convinced of this. He's not so convinced of this because he's so great. He's not so convinced of this because because of him. He's convinced of this because of him. To the only God. There's only one God. To the only God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. It is only through Jesus Christ that God saves. Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no, other, uh, no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's nothing else, there's no one else in whom you can trust, in whom you can rest for your eternal salvation. The only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ. He is our Savior through Jesus Christ. And you see something of the nature of the Trinitarian nature of God emphasized in seeing salvation as the provision of God through Jesus Christ. Only one God. We live in an age, a day and age, when there are people trying to tell us about many gods and many different ways to heaven. There's only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. That's the only way he saves. And then what he does is... There aren't words for this. There's no human explanation for this. So he just simply draws attention. As he thinks of this great praise of Jesus Christ, he draws attention to four unbelievable attributes. As the rock-solid foundation of your assurance. And what are they? He says, first of all, he calls attention to his glory. The glory of God. All, the glory of God would be all of his attributes balled up into one. All of his glory, all of his perfection, his magnificence. It's, it's what one commentator said. His glory is what attracts the gaze and holds the eye. Don't think that when we get to heaven that we'll be bored there. Because in heaven... We will have an unhindered, unbridled ability to take in and gaze at the immense glory of Jesus Christ and to see him in his splendor. His glory is his brightness, his, his, his brilliance. That's, that's where we see all of God brought up in one. It's his glory. One day, my friends, we'll look upon him with a glorious splendor. We'll see one, if you can imagine. We'll see one with nail-scarred hands and nail-scarred feet. We'll see one with a, a sword scar, a, a, a spear scar in his side. And we'll see him sitting upon the throne in glory. And our eyes will be focused on him forever and ever and ever. His glory. But not only does Jude mention his glory, he mentions his majesty. You see what he says? To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, be glory, majesty. 
majesty. You know what that refers to? It's a word that, that means greatness. It's, it's divine, kingly greatness. It is the splendor of royalty. That's his position. His position is one of kingly splendor, royal majesty. First Chronicles 29 11 says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness. That's, that's the, the word that Jude uses to draw attention to the attribute of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's what he is in possession of. He's in possession of glory. He is in possession of majesty. He is in possession of sovereignty. He says, be glory, majesty, and dominion. And that word dominion, it may be my favorite word in the Greek New Testament. It has the idea of strength of action. It is the word that speaks of having everything under one's control. It speaks of the power of one's right hand. It means that he has everything in his grip. In 1927, the old spiritual song was written down for the first time, and I'm confident it had been sung for generations before that. But in 1927, someone wrote down these words, He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world. Where? In his hands. Kratos, that's the Greek word. It's in his sovereign grip. That's what Jude exalts in the Lord Jesus Christ as he praises him. He's in possession of glory and he's in possession of majesty and he's in possession of sovereignty. And praise God, he is in possession of authority. Listen, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. Friends, it's one thing to have strength. It's one thing to have majesty. It's one thing to have glory. But it's another thing to have the authority to use that strength and to use that majesty and to use that sovereignty and to use that glory. And we see right here that he says Jesus has all authority. Think about what he told his disciples before he ascended. He said, all authority has been given to me on heaven, uh, in heaven and on earth. So what? Go. Go and, 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 and evangelize. Go and spread the message of the gospel. Why? Because of my authority. Do what you do on the basis of my authority, not your authority. That's the praise of Jesus. And, and when does he have these things? Well, he had them before all time. And now... And for always. In other words, the assurance of your salvation is founded on the eternal character of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The unchanging character, the unchanging attributes of our great God. You will change. You change your hairstyle, you change your clothes. You change your clothes style. Some of, some of us change our clothes style. I might not have for a while, but you change your job. You change your house. You change your friends. You change your standing in life. You change your cars. But listen, he never changes. And so here we are. We're fraught with all kinds of weaknesses 
and we are given to wondering and we're wondering about where we stand in, in, in Christ and how we're going to make it in these days. And what he does is says, get your eyes on Christ. Look at his great power. He has a power to keep you. It's a power to save you. Praise the Lord, but not just to save you, but to keep you saved. And then to bring you with the biggest, can I say it this way, with the biggest smile on your face that you've ever known in your life and to present you into the presence of his glory and make you stand right there and not shrink back in fear or melt because of the brightness of his glory. So what's the only fitting response? Praise. See, in this day and age, we, we, could, we could complain. Look at how things are. We could grumble and murmur and dispute among ourselves and mumble and whatever it might be. But the only thing that's fitting is for us to draw all praise again, to which Jude just says, Amen. Amen and amen. Let it be. So be it. Praise the Lord. I'm, I'm ready. I was listening to some music yesterday, as I often do when I'm studying. And what I was listening to was, to me, just sheer audio beauty. It, it, was, it was the words, but not just the words. It was the the intonation of the voice and the beauty of the accompanying instruments and everything coming together to the point that I could barely restrain tears. I just pushed back from my desk and, and in a moment just lifted my arms and praised to God. I you know, showed my inner Pentecostal, right? And I'm just sh- praising my God and thinking of Him in glory and praise. And, and I thought in that moment, the, the man I was listening to, he's not a believer, He's singing these beautiful songs and he's not even a believer. And I thought, oh, if God could save him, if God could redeem that man, then he would have a voice that could be used for his glory. What a platform it would. And then I stopped and I thought, oh, that ain't nothing. That's nothing. My mind shifted to a yet future day when you and I will be gathered around that eternal throne. And you see, what gives God the greatest glory is not that he saves people who have great voices. What gives God the greatest glory is that he saves people who have great sin. He saves great sinners. And if you've heard some voices in this day, maybe you've gone to some concert or someplace, and you're just in awe, and you're amazed at the sounds that have come forth... Just you wait because that's nothing like it'll be in that great and grand day when gathered around the eternal throne, the sweet song, the sweet voices that will come. I might not be able to sing very well right now. You might not be able to sing very well. But in that day, brothers and sisters, with glorified bodies, having an understanding of all that God is for us in Christ, we will sing like never before and you will be able to hear and you will be amazed. And that's what keeps us contending for the faith. That's what keeps us being fighters. And keep struggling, even in the midst of agony. Even when people around us fall and turn tail and run. We say there's one truth. 
And that was delivered to the saints, and that's right here. And by God's grace, until our dying day, we'll stand with this book in our hand and proclaim its message. But more than that, we'll believe its truth. And one day, <laughs> we close our eyes on this earth and open them in glory, and he says, well done good and faithful servant. Enjoy. We get a little glimpse of that right now. We get a little glimpse of that joy right now. We have the privilege of living with this truth no matter what. I wonder if you can say today that you know for sure that if you were to die today, you'd be with God in heaven. You know that for sure. And look, don't be standing on your own puny little purity and your own puny little power because that is nothing in God's sight. It is, it is less than nothing. He will destroy you. You come only on the basis of Jesus and Jesus alone. Humbly, humbly confessing your sin, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ who paid the penalty for your sin. And when you believe on him, he's not only able and willing to save you, he's able and willing to keep you all the way into eternity. You know that for sure, that if you were to die today, you'd be with God in heaven? For sure. But you can today, if you'll just humble your heart, right where you're seated, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe, maybe you say as a believer, you know, I, I'm like that guy in the race. I've been sitting on the infield for the last couple of months, weeks, whatever. And you need to start building yourself up in the most holy faith. Would you take what the scripture says and, and start doing that? Looking toward that grand, great day when you'll be in the presence of God. What a day that'll be. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you.